I want to back up just a little bit in the uh, Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, and read some of the verses that precede the verses that we read just a few moments ago. Now, it says, and this is the New American Standard Version, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you. Now, anytime you hear the Lord say, truly, truly, or verily, verily, or in some translations, you'll say, amen, amen. Anytime you hear the Lord himself saying that, you know, those are words you need to listen to. I mean, not that every word of his is not one that to be listened to, but he's making a point. It's just like Charles Stanley saying, now listen to me. You know, he's uh, he's uh, trying to really emphasize this is important. And so he starts off and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, that's pretty strong, pretty strong words. And then he goes on, and as we read today, he says, I am the door. And so basically, you see, what he's saying is that if you have not entered in through him, and I would go ahead and just say through the cross, through what he has bought for you, you enter into the kingdom of God through the door. And he says, he is the door. In his earthly ministry, the most important thing that he did was go to the cross. And he made it clear that that was his main mission. If that was his main mission, our main mission should be receive what he did for us on that cross. And so, first of all, he says that if you try to come into the kingdom or if you come into the church in any other way, but through him, you're a thief and a robber. That's not me saying it. It's Jesus saying it. And yet there are so many people today that come to church and join churches and are a part of churches and say, well, yeah, he's my way, but there have to be other ways too. That's not what Jesus said. He said, truly, truly. And if you have not settled it into your heart that he's the only way, that makes you a thief and a robber because you are steering people away from the kingdom of God. You're keeping them out by offering the possibility of there being another way into the kingdom. And so it's very saying this. He says, this is important. You need to know this. And so he says this, and then he goes on and he says, truly, truly, again, in verse uh, seven, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And then he says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he, and we could add, or she will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is the passage that I really want to zero in on today. The thief comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. I came that they may have life 
and have it abundantly. Now, the thief is the devil, is what he's talking about here. Satan comes but to kill and to steal and to destroy. And if you will look around in this imperfect world today, you see Satan killing and stealing and destroy. We see him doing it through uh, drugs and alcohol. We see him do it through people's pride and uh, they're not being willing to uh, uh, love others and uh, uh, have a proper relationship with other people. Uh, we see uh, just so many different ways that the thief is robbing people today and keeping people from having a good life to begin with and eternal life on top of that. So much uh, the thief is killing and stealing and destroying. Just look at all the hatred around you today. It's all around. Well, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, backing up, we've got the door as the cross. We've got Jesus as the shepherd. And two of the things that we see there are the most important parts of entering into the kingdom of God. We must personally appropriate what Jesus did on the cross. And then we must look to him as our shepherd, as our Lord. The two important ingredients, if you're going to be a Christian, are the cross personally for the forgiveness of your sins and also the lordship of Jesus living the life that he has called you to live the way he says it ought to be lived. Not just deciding that we're going to do something good for him every now and then, but we live our lives for him and we live them under his direction. He is our shepherd. He's the one that tells us where to go, what, what field to feed in, what we're supposed to be doing. He is Lord. And so we've uh, got the, the cross and we've got the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And whenever you have both of those in place, he gives you life. It says in uh, the third chapter of John that, no, in the first chapter of John, that all who receive him, to them he gives the right or the power to become children of God. Not everybody is God's child, sad to say. Only those who have come to know him and received him. We're all made in God's image, but we're all separated from him. And we wind up coming into the kingdom through the cross and into the Lordship of Jesus. So whenever you receive him as Lord and Savior, then your abundant life begins and your life begins. Now, there's so many people that are trying to find meaning in life apart from the Lord. And they need him so terribly. And uh, it just really frustrates me that there are so many Christians that just want to be quiet about Jesus. And let's face it, the world tells us to shut up and sit down and be quiet, don't they? And yet 
in doing so, when we have something to share with others that's going to make a difference in their life, we ought to do it. And uh, my goodness, whenever you just just think about the life that we have, maybe y'all don't, you know, with me, I, it seems like there's always these things that remind me of the life I had before I came to know Jesus as really my Lord and my Savior. There was a time when I played church, when I went, but I wasn't his. Then when I came to know him, I had a life that was different than anything I had ever known before. There was a love shed abroad in my heart. There was a joy in my soul. There was a peace that passed all understanding. There was a faith that because I was God's and he was my God, that somehow, no matter what came my way, everything was going to be okay. And that's one of the things that all of us should share, that no matter how things look, if we're his and his life is within us, then we know that somehow everything's going to be okay. Whenever we come to know him, relationships change uh, with family, with friends, with others. Our finances get better because we become responsible stewards. Our health gets better because we're not doing the sorts of things we shouldn't be doing health-wise, are we? My goodness, I can uh, remember smoking for quite a while. And then whenever I would try to quit, I'd be so grumpy and gripey and growly to everybody around me that it was hard to be a good Christian not smoking. And it would just kill me. And so I couldn't stop. And I prayed and prayed about it. And uh, the Lord made it clear that it wasn't that I was going to miss heaven for smoking. But he said, but you're not going to grow spiritually till you stop. Because you know you're setting a bad example for your kids and for people around you. You're uh, encouraging them to do something that's going to take years from the life that I have given them. And uh, you're just going to stay where you are spiritually till you stop. So finally, I stopped. And then I thought, okay, Lord, now I have really arrived, right? Now then, I've got all these external things out of the way. And uh, I can be this just super Christian now, right? He said, wrong. See, so what about the way you even look at other people, the position that you look at them from, the haughtiness of your heart, your arrogance. And we started in on the things that really mattered more to him than the external things like smoking. And so we started a long journey of uh, going through all the other things that God had on his makeover list. One at a time, they've come up. And uh, we've dealt with them as they come up. This past week, another one has come up, and I'm going to be working on it. But uh, all the time, it's till we go to the grave, the Lord's going to be showing us our growing edge and helping us to grow. But every time that we find it and we step into what he has for us, life becomes better and more blessed than it was before.
And we might not have ever thought it could be better, but he makes it better. When in him we have peace of mind, we're at peace with God. We don't have to fear what God's going to do anymore uh, to us. We have no fear facing the future because we know that we uh, are loved by the one who is in control of the future. He gives us a sense of self, of self-worth, of purpose and identity. All these are quickened and made alive in a way they never have been before when we come to know him and his spirit indwells us. We realize in his presence that we are acceptable in the beloved. People that are outside of Christ, they don't know what it's like to be at peace in their hearts. There's a uh, uh, an acronym uh, if you're using it with alcohol, it would be, uh, it would be B-O-D-A if you're dealing with an alcoholic. There is a belief system that addictive people have. The first one is, I am a bad and unworthy person. The second one is, if other people really knew me, the real me, they wouldn't like me. And so I can't let people get too close and let them really know the real me. And then the third is because I can't get close to anybody or let anybody close to me, I can't depend on anybody to meet my needs. And therefore, I have to take care of my own needs. And then you just fill in the next blank, whatever your addiction is. Alcohol is my most important need. Or drugs are most, my most important need. Or all sorts of other things can go in that blank. The approval of other people is my most important need. There are all sorts of things that can be things that we're addicted to. And uh, as I was sharing this with, uh, there's a woman that had drug her husband in for, for alcohol counseling one time. As I went through this, she started crying. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, the first three, I'm a bad, unworthy person. If others really knew me, they wouldn't like me. And uh, I can't depend on others to meet my needs. She said, you're describing me. And she realized that she couldn't be her real self around other people. That she hadn't found that peace with God. Well, uh, another, he gives us an identity in him to where we know who and whose we are. And we may never have known it before. I had one lady had come in and she was uh, talking to me and I could just tell something was up. And I said, OK, now we'll say that her name was Sally. I said, now, Sally, I want you to tell me. Who is Sally? Just tell me in your own words who Sally is. And she said, well, I'm so-and-so's wife. I'm so-and-so's mama. Uh, and everything that she said was connected. Her identity, the, everything that she knew about herself was connected to other people. And I said, okay, this is what I thought. Now then, what I want you to do is I want you to tell me who you are again without mentioning your connection to other people at all. And she said, well, uh, 
And she just got this look of just horror on her face. And she broke down and she started crying. And she said, I don't even know who I really am. You see, there are people that are living without him. And the thief he had killed and stealed and destroyed in her life so much that she had no identity left. And there are lots of people that they're trying to get their identity from other people, but they don't know who they are. They don't realize that they're special in and of themselves and that God has plans and purposes for them. He made them unique just exactly the way they are to uh, live the life that he's put before them. And they're missing all of that. And they need, they need the Lord. The thief has done a number on them. And the Lord can restore what the thief has taken away. He frees us from our past. That's a part of the new life that we have in Christ is old things are passed away. Uh, he frees us from the past. So many people are just bound to things in their past, like a, a trauma, a traumatic experience of some sort, some great tragedy or, or life event or loss can, can just define their life from that moment on so that their whole life is colored by that. And they're just stuck, connected to one event in the past to where they are missing out on the life that the Lord has for them right now and the good things he has for them in store in the future. Uh, last night, I sat across the table from a sweet lady from Cambodia. She just oozed Jesus. She smiled so easily, and she was just such a delight to be around. You would never know that she was in Cambodia when Paul Pot took over and her village was overrun and her family, all but her mother apparently, were killed in the killing fields of Cambodia. And she lost everyone just about in her family, everybody that was close to her. And she was thrown into a slave labor camp. And it was there that she came across some Christians that had joy, even in the midst of all the sorrow that was all around her and all the death that was around. And she became the Lord's. And now, just to talk to her, you would never know. You see, that event does not define her. That event was something that happened that is behind her now, and she now knows the Lord. She is his. And so she no longer, uh, she has been healed of the pain. It's not that she doesn't miss her family, that she doesn't love them still. But the Lord has brought healing and wholeness to her so that she has a life of her own and a life to share with others. And she's going to be going back to Cambodia soon to win others to Christ. I have another new friend. His first name is Larry. 17 years ago, Larry's son 
was facing going to prison. I think he was going back to prison and he couldn't think he couldn't he couldn't face going to prison again. And he took his own life. It killed Larry. But Larry was a Christian and he knew that it was the thief that had taken his son from him. And so instead of letting that define him and just stop his life in its tracks from that moment on, instead he said, you devil took my son from me. I'm going to take a soul from you every day. And he has led at least one person to the Lord every day since that happened. I did the math on it. Thousands of people Larry has led to the Lord in that period of time. He didn't let that, that tragedy define him and, and stop him from the life that the Lord had. for. And this is just whenever the Lord says, I came that they might have life. He also said, I came that they might have it more abundantly, not just new life, but an abundant life, an overflowing life, a life that's full of great things. That's what he came for us to have. He blesses with more. Now, I've discovered I can't outgive God, but uh, the thing is, is that there are a lot of people that, well, let me just stop right here and, 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 and say, you know, there have been times in my life when I've given myself to the Lord, I've been living my life the best I knew how, and there would be an area of my life that it wasn't abundant. It was, I was okay, but it wasn't abundant. And there have been times when I've just cried out to God and, and, and to the Lord and said, you said you came that we might have life and have it abundantly. This is not abundance. I am miserable right now. Whenever I get to that point, you know what the Lord does? He shows me where I have been messing up. <laughs> if I'm pointing my finger at somebody else and saying, they're the problem in my life right now. He helps me see there are three fingers pointing back at me. And he helps me to realize that I don't need to be trying to change that other person. I need to work on me. Uh, relationships. That's what he does with me in relationships. It helps me to see what I need to work on. And in the light of his word where I have fallen short finances. There was a time we were getting by, we were eking by all the time. And uh, I finally said, Lord, where's this abundant life you're talking about? He said, when are you going to start living it? I said, what do you mean? And the thing is, I did not tithe for one thing, and I was not a generous person. And what does the Lord say in his word? Give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give it to your bosom. It doesn't say be stingy and God will bless you, does it? No, that's not what it says at all. But it starts off with bringing the tithe into the storehouse. And I wasn't tithing. Instead, I was rationalizing and justifying. Well, Lord, I've got four kids I need to feed. 
And the Lord made it clear, if I would honor him with my substance, then he could bless me. And so Sharon and I made a budget and we started, we put the tithe at the top of the budget. We started living out of that. And the next thing you know, I had the same salary level as a district superintendent, whereas before we'd just been scraping by. But it didn't happen until I started living the way that the Lord said I should live. I was missing the abundant life by missing some of the things that were really a part of the abundant life. And whenever I started doing those things, so just, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or do any confessing or anything today. I'm not going to do that. But just stop and think, is there an area of your life that if you were honest with yourself and you were honest with God, you would say, you know, my life is not abundant in this area. It may be in your marriage. It may be in other relationships. It may be that you have relatives instead of family uh, because things just aren't right between you. Well, uh, from my experience, if there's an area of your life where you're not experiencing the abundant and blessed life that he has for you, and I'm not saying you're going to, the Lord's going to spread rose petals in front of you. He says in the world, you have tribulation, but don't worry about it. I've overcome the world, but there is this abundant life that you can live in the midst of this fallen world. And so if there's some area of your life that you've been struggling in, I want to encourage you. First of all, you probably already know in your heart where you're rationalizing with God. You probably know that area that he's been tapping you on the shoulder, trying to get your attention in. And he's saying, okay, now's the time to start doing something about it. And I will help you to do that. The moment we start honoring God in that part of our life, things will start to change. He truly did mean it. He said, truly, truly, whenever he began this passage, two different times he says this, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you, this is the way it is. And so uh, I just want you to know he means that if you enter through the door and you live as his sheep, you should be having life and having it abundantly. And if it's not, then that means that there's something that you haven't let go of yet or something that you've been overlooking. And if you don't know what it is, He'll reveal it to you. Now, this is just the most wonderful thing about all of this. If you will be faithful to God, no matter how scary things look, it's going to wind up being okay. Look at Job. Job went through a horrible loss, didn't he? He went through terrible, terrible things. He was down to where all he had left was a nagging wife. That's all he had left. And yet at the very end, he's got, he still has that wife. I, I, I believe the Lord did a work on her uh, as he just watched what, uh, as she watched what 
happened for, to Job because of his faithfulness, because in the end, even though he lost all his kids, he had a lot more kids. He had a lot more crops, a lot more cattle. The Lord restored abundantly what the thief had taken from him. Uh, another case where we see, uh, you, you see the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were being blessed because they were gods, weren't they? They were given positions of authority and leadership in, uh, in Babylon. And then uh, we wound up with this fiasco where they wouldn't bow down and serve. You wouldn't bow down before uh, this uh, statue. And the king had them cast into this fiery furnace. He had them cast into that furnace. And they said, no matter what, we're not going to bow down to your God. And so when they came back out and their clothes weren't even burned and they didn't even smell like barbecue, when they came back out, the king was amazed. And he said, don't let anybody ever say anything bad about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I love what it says at the very end of that particular story. The last verse, nobody ever shares. It doesn't seem like. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. They were faithful even when it looked like there was no hope. And because of that, they were blessed. Sometimes... It looks scary to be faithful. And you may think, well, I need to compromise so that I can survive or whatever. But the thing is, is that uh, anyway, we're just to be faithful. We're to be faithful. Compromising doesn't get it done. But if you wind up being faithful in the trials the Lord will see you through. Seemed like there was one. Oh, 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 the biggest one. The rich young ruler has run up to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And they have a conversation at the end of it. He says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the guy turns around and he goes off. And this is what it says at the very end. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard this said, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with God or they're impossible with people, are possible with God. And then all of a sudden, Peter had an epiphany. He's standing there and he says, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. He said, Hey, Jesus, we did that. We did that. And it just hits him. He's been doing what he's supposed to do. And listen to what Jesus says to him. He said to him, truly, here's that word again, truly, 
Verily, underscore what I say next. This is so important, he says. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. You can't outgive God. You give him your life. He gives you a better life. You give him your life. He gives you an abundant life. But it doesn't come till you give it to him. And uh, all, all of this reminds me of uh, the one of the things about the second or third verse of trust and obey. This just came to mind as I came to the, to the conclusion of just working all this stuff out. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows or for those who will what? Who said that? Say it louder. Trust and obey. That's right. That's right. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows or for them who will trust and obey. So if you're missing out on something, if you're not experiencing the abundant life, where is it that you're not trusting and obeying? That's a clue. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.